everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this exceptional author interview with Empish J. Thomas, who is a freelance writer, journalist, radio show host, and advocate. We will be discussing her work and exploring the journalism field from the author's perspective. First, this is pre-recorded event, so we don't have prompt responses from our readers today. However, we want to remind you about the rich opportunity to cultivate your writing skills and creativity with the weekly writing prompts available from Writing Works Wonders. There are several ways to receive the weekly writing prompts, and if you like, share your responses with us. You may go to writingworkswonders.com and then click Contact Us. You can see the weekly prompts there and enter your responses as a comment. Other submission options include email, phone, or text. Writing prompts can also be delivered to your inbox weekly. Just sign up for our weekly writing prompts and Zoom link. Same place, writingworkswonders.com. Contact us. We want to encourage your writing success. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hey, Kathy, so glad to be here. Today, our guest is Empish J. Thomas. Although we don't have our audience with us, we love you guys. Thank you for listening and your support. Empish is a freelance journalist, editor, and blogger. She has been a career columnist for Dialogue Magazine and is a career mentor for the AFB Career Connect program. Empish is a passionate and avid reader and editor. In January 2017, she took on a new project hosting a radio show called Eye on Blindness. Empish shares that there are journalists with that right now, this minute deadline who are fast writers and editors. However, slow is not a bad thing. Her insightful words will leave you feeling inspired and knowing that you can do it too. Welcome, Empish. Cheryl and I have really enjoyed reading your work. It's been exciting, and we're looking forward to talking with you today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I understand that you began losing your sight in your 20s, and then you worked for about 16 years in disability rights. Can you briefly tell our listeners the story of how you became a journalist? Yeah, actually, I went to college in Florida, got my journalism degree. And once I graduated, I landed a a public relations position at a firm in Atlanta. And so I moved right out of college to Atlanta, Georgia, to pursue my career. Six months after I got to Atlanta, I started to lose my vision. That situation kind of derailed, I guess is a good way to say it. And so I was working, but not working in journalism for a couple of years until I was trying to figure things out and deal with my vision impairment and that sort of a thing. That was back in 1996, 97-ish, around in there. So fast forward to 2000, 
I had lost that position. The company folded, downsized, all that good stuff. And now I'm trying to figure out what to do with myself. And I had not really got a foothold in my career as a journalist. And so I figured, let me try to go back, but go back now as a blind person. How does that work? So I decided to look at the disability community and I landed a volunteer position writing and editing a newsletter for a disability nonprofit. That began the opportunities. And it, one thing just led to another, led to another, led to another. And so here I am today. What an amazing experience. We know that loss of sight, I've been through it. So many of our listeners, Cheryl's been through a progressive loss of sight. It turns your world upside down. And there's a long period of adjustment And you've so well described how you have to reinvent yourself and think about what are your possibilities next. So fabulous that you found a place to bring together your training and skills in journalism with what appears to be a great passion for advocacy. We know that advocacy for people with visual impairments is a cornerstone of your work. You've described it right now, but we've seen it in your writing. Could you explain for us, please, your perspective on how you understand the relationship between environmental challenges and the voice of people with disabilities? That's a good question. And it's also kind of complicated and challenging within itself, because when you have a disability you know, you, of course, have challenges every day or every week, every moment, all the time. So you're constantly trying to figure out the ebb and flow, the push and pull. When do I advocate for myself? When do I not? Trying to fight every battle all the time will leave you exhausted. So sometimes you have to pick and choose what to fight. And then even within that, how much to fight and when to let it go and to be satisfied with whatever that progression looks like for you. It's something I know I constantly have to work on all the time. A prime example, and this is something that I blogged about on my website, is I was dealing with an accessible mobile app for my bank and I was working on a freelance contract that mailed me paper checks. And so I'm trying to use my app to deposit my income. Uh, This is in the middle of COVID, right? When things were really heating up at the beginning and going to the bank was just not going to be the best option. And I'm struggling with this app not really being very accessible. So I'm advocating for myself, going to the bank on the telephone, telling them it's not accessible, what have you. They're not really trying to hear me. They're not trying to really process it and whatever. It's going nowhere. So I had to pivot and go in a different direction and figure out another strategy. And it worked. I reached out to my client and expressed my concerns about why can't we do electronic payments? And they heard me and we do now electronic payments. Now, the app, I'm not sure if it's accessible or not anymore. I have not really gone back to try and play with it any longer, but I had to kind of move on from that situation because it was causing me some stress. We're we're in the middle of a pandemic. I need to get my money. So my client was able to work with me on it and we went from there. 
So it's just one of those things that, you know, I think able-bodied sighted folks don't have to think about that kind of stuff. But when you have a disability, these are the things you have to deal with on a regular basis. And then trying to figure out how much advocacy you want to do or not do sometimes can be really tough. That's a great example. You explain that so well. And, mm-hmm. and I think part of that is, yes, people who are sighted can voice the concerns for us. And we certainly need those allies to be our advocates and help for people to hear the needs and the challenges. But we all, people with disabilities, need to be able to voice our needs and know how to advocate. And as you so well said it, pivot into a different strategy when we've hit a wall and be able to evaluate the cost benefit as it were. Do I keep banging against this wall or do I figure out if there's another avenue that I might be able to pursue perhaps? Great example. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cheryl? Absolutely. Yeah. Thinking about your favorite articles that you published, what was the focus of some of your favorites? Who did you write about? Can you tell us about anything that's really stuck out in your mind that was a favorite of yours? Gosh, that is a challenging question because I love to write about just what's going on in my life or the lives of my friends or what I see on TV or kind of what's trending or what's kind of popping. If I had to talk about a favorite thing, I am a huge fan of audio description. And so several of my blog posts and articles that I write deal with audio described movies and content. Just recently, I wrote a post for Vision Aware, which I'm a peer advisor for them about a a documentary on art and vision loss, vision impairment, uh, blind artists and blind art teachers teaching visually impaired children about art. So painting, clay, sculpture, that kind of a thing. And so I reviewed the film for the blog post and they're supposed to be posting it fairly soon. Along with one of my other colleagues, she gave her review. I'm a big fan of movies and films that are in audio description. Uh, I just recently got on the board of the Descriptive Video Works, which is a audio description company based in Canada. I just became a board member this month. We had our first board meeting, and I'm really excited to be a part of this organization where we're going to be focusing more on how to make audio description better for people with vision loss. Getting back to your question, that is one of my favorite topics. And then I like to just talk about things that are happening around us and how it impacts those that have vision impairment. And that's the the kind of the reaction I get from the people that read my blog posts. It's like, oh, well, I didn't realize online grocery shopping was a challenge or, oh, I didn't realize the, Mm -hmm. the mobile banking act was an issue or, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, this or this or that was going on in your life. So it kind of educates people about these things are happening for us, just like they're happening for you, but maybe in a different kind of way. And then I try to give some perspective, not everything's a challenge, but just a different perspective on, you know, the day in the life of. Right. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And next, I'd like you to share with our listeners what you say on your website about the lion and the giraffe and the meaning of that. Would you share that? Yeah, that's my tagline. You know, don't let the lion tell the giraffe story. 
And I read that in a book I was reading many, many years ago. And it was such a profound statement to me that I have had that as my tagline for many years. And basically what it's saying is, and this relates to people that are disabled, or you could put in any marginalized minority group when you think about the majority is the one that's telling the story. So the person that wins is controlling the narrative. The person that loses, their comments and thoughts are not added into that story a lot of times. So you have no idea. So sometimes the story is is one-sided. It's not complete. It's not whole. So when you think about the lion roaming the jungle, he runs the, the jungle. He's the king. The giraffe is just the prey and doesn't really have any say-so in what's happening. What I wanted to do is to be that voice that says, you know what, we as people with disabilities, we have a story to tell. We have a voice as well as the majority community. That means people that are not disabled. And we should tell our own stories in our own voice and put that out into the public. Look around, I look at newspaper articles, I look at magazine articles, I look at books. And a lot of times you don't see people with disabilities being profiled. And when you do, sometimes they're not, not all the time, but sometimes they're not projected correctly. Well, who's doing that? And how is that being done? But then there are times when they are, and I applaud that work and I'm excited to see it. But also those spaces need to be filled with people that are disabled, having an opportunity to speak for themselves. So that's what that tagline is talking about. I love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that ties in whether a journalist is sight impaired or not. What do people need in order to be a good, effective journalist? Well, it's, it's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, obvious reasons, you need to be a good writer. <laughs> you need to be able to write well, write, <laughs> write concisely, concinctly, write tight, write strong, really work on those writing skills. The other thing is be able to have good interviews. When I worked for Dialogue Magazine, they're not in, in operation any longer. But for many, many years, I was the career column writer for Dialogue. So I interviewed all kinds of people about their careers and all the different things that they did. So I'm on the phone talking to people and I'm interviewing them. And some interviews, folks were chatty and conversational and all kind of stuff. And other times it was a little bit of work to engage the person in conversation to get the information I needed for the story. Being able to be a person that can do really good interviews is really important when you're looking at being a journalist. Also being able to do good research beyond just the basic, throw something in Google and see what pops up, but being able to dig and look at multiple uh, sources. So you find one article that says whatever it says, go beyond that, find multiple sources for your story. When I was in journalism school, and I think this still holds true, when we turned in a piece, we had to have at least three to five sources to make sure that that story was sound. So that means that we need to do a little digging to make sure that we found really reliable, competent uh, sources and research. 
The last thing is look at what's trending, be in the know. So if your genre that you're writing in is romance or health and fitness or uh, writing about children or parents or whatever, be on list groups or Facebook pages or reading articles and things around that particular topic. So you know what's trending, you know what's happening. So when you get ready to write your stories or pitch your ideas to an editor, you're on the cutting edge of what's going on in that industry. I think those are the main things that I think about. Excellent. And what are some of the significant challenges that you've encountered in your writing career and how you've overcome them? Well, two things come to mind. Overcoming them may not be something I've quite been able to accomplish, but definitely two things, which is website accessibility and being a slow writer. So when it comes to website accessibility, because I'm online a lot and I'm, you know, doing a a lot of things electronically, I do bump up against inaccessible websites or web portals or whatever. And so I do struggle with um, getting access to things online, apps and things that I need to access sometimes are a struggle for me. And uh, I just kind of do the best I can with it. I do have a few workarounds like I may use be my eyes or I may get a sighted friend to help me to access that information to try to work that out and and that's kind of how I've been dealing with that now when it comes to to my ability to write fast I'm not a fast writer I, I knew that when I was in journalism school and I took a internship at a newspaper that I was not going to be able to get that story in by the five o'clock deadline. I just, I couldn't process and write quickly like that. So I said, okay, let me write for publications that have a longer lead time, like a a Mm -hmm. bi-weekly or a magazine or e-zine, something where I have a lot longer time to put my stories together. And so that's what I've done to kind of compensate because uh, I like to look over my over my editing carefully. And I think some of it too, now that I'm disabled and, and have a visual disability at that, I want to make sure that my work is perfect, that my spelling and punctuation and grammar are tight, that my headlines look good, my paragraph structure looks good. And a lot of that's visual. So I take a lot more time than maybe a sighted person does to look that over. And it pays off because when I turn my assignments in, my editor does not tend to send it back to me for corrections. And when it's published, it's pretty much what I submitted word for word. I mean, a lot of times they may make a few changes, but not by much. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel bad that I'm a slow writer in that regard. I just work for publications that will accept the fact that I write slow and they're they're okay with me turning in assignments later because they don't require that tight deadline. So, yeah, thanks. And that's so Mm -hmm. true because then it gives you time to tighten it up. And Empish, I know that in the past that you've done a lot of public speaking and sometimes maybe you've used a script or notes. I'm not sure. We use uh, a script to guide us with our podcast. But this is something that's a real challenge for a lot of people who are visually impaired is public speaking. Can you give any advice to our listeners and 
maybe describe your process? How do you prepare and how do you navigate the process of speaking in public? That's a really good question. And when I did do a lot of public speaking, it was for a particular job that I was working and I had to promote the organization. So I was doing public relations and marketing and community outreach. And so I pretty much memorized what I was going to say because the content was going to be the same every time I went out into the community to talk about the organization. And it wasn't going to change from presentation to presentation. It was pretty much going to be the same. So over time, I just, I knew what to say. But, you know, when I first got hired, of course, I had my little cheat sheet I could kind of use and and go from there. Aside from that, I don't do any other kind of public speaking so much so. I'm currently doing some webinars right now with my local a library, and I have my presentation up on the Zoom screen, and my co-presenter has it up there for the people to view, and then I just have it on my computer right here. But again, I already have memorized pretty much what I'm going to talk about, and I just kind of talk about the different topics because I've already learned about them already. It's not so much, I guess, when it comes to public speaking, for me, it's not a speech per se. It's more like talking points. So I'll Mm -hmm. jot down a few things to help me remember, okay, point one is this and point two is this, or next I'm going to talk about such and such and such. And then that's enough to jog my memory to know what to talk about next so that I stay on point and don't go off topic, if that makes sense. So how are you reading those points? I have my screen reader here that I use. And that's something too that I need to work on, to be honest with you, because I don't want my screen reader to be jabbering in the background. I just completed a Freedom Scientific podcast where they were saying they have made some updates to JAWS where if you're in a Zoom call, you can adjust the volume controls of JAWS where you can make it sound lower in the background where it doesn't become a distraction while you're in a Zoom meeting. There's some some keys specifically for JAWS and Zoom that can adjust the volume. So I made some notations of that, and I'm going to start giving it a try as I be in more, more Zoom calls. Other times I've put some notes on my iPhone, and then I've put my earbud in my other ear on my iPhone while I have my headset on my other ear. So JAWS is in my left ear and then my Mm -hmm. iPhone is in my right ear, if that makes sense. And I've kind of done some stuff like that. Absolutely. We just had Annie Chiapetta do a second workshop with us on our show. It's episode 33 and it's on what you're describing. We call audio prompting. And she walked us through that whole process of being able to do that on a separate devices or even the same device. So it's great to hear other folks doing it. I will listen to that episode because that is something I really need to work on, build uh, my strength in because I'm not strong in that area. And now that I'm doing more things like this, it's becoming more evident that that's a weakness I need to work on. So I'm glad we're having this conversation because this is very useful and helpful to me as well. So thank you. Well, we're all in a learning process and Cheryl Mm -hmm. and I are in the same place. We're not greatly proficient in 
Braille. I am a rank beginner in learning Braille. <laughs> and so this is part of what we're navigating as well. Mm. We're all part of the same club, as it were. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. The audio, <laughs> the audio prompting really is a viable option. And Annie has helped break it down for us. We have two episodes on that, so I can recommend it. I have another question for you, and it's come up through our discussion. Do you have any suggested resources for people that don't have a degree in journalism, but they seem to have a talent for interviewing people and getting information, and maybe they've done some blogging about things, and they want to learn more skills related to nonfiction writing and journalism? Where would you recommend that they turn to? Thing When I first started freelancing years ago, I did it for a couple of years until it wasn't working as well. And then I went back to, as they say, working for the man. <laughs> and then I stopped and came back and started freelancing again. I started with resources at the public library. You know, I love my library the Talking Book Library, NLS, as well as my community library. They are a valuable resource and those resources are free. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. please tap into your your library. Um, There's books and magazines and things available, books that you probably can find on the writing craft. I'm reading one right now, which is on BARD, and I do not know the name of it off the top of my head, but I can email it to you and you can share it with your audience members, maybe in the show notes or something that talks about writing and plagiarism and doing research for writers. The Writing Magazine comes out every month. That's on BARD. And that is a publication that talks about how to be a good freelance writer, how to be a good author, publishing, craft, nonfiction, and fiction. I've been reading the Writer Magazine for a gazillion years. They even have markets in there where you can pitch your ideas to paid publications in the back. So that's a good resource to use. So definitely accessing the public library, both NLS and your community library can help you with strengthening your skills. Second place you can go is Google it. Whenever I have a question about anything, I go to old faithful internet. So I was needing to work on my headlines and really make them pop and make them more eye-catching and more provocative. And I just Googled how to write better headlines. And oh my gosh, all kinds of information came up in my searches, writing articles and blog posts on how to write better headlines. And it was so helpful to me. And as I was reading the articles, it really helped me to figure out how to write better headlines. And I've been able to implement some of those things I've learned so I've done that. I have I was reading an article on how to do hashtags on LinkedIn. So when I post my blog post on LinkedIn, how do I do better with posting things so, so that my contacts can see it? And so there was a beautiful article that a guy on LinkedIn wrote on how to do that. So I bookmarked it so I can go back and read it from time to time as a refresher And it walked you through how to do it. So I've been doing that and noticing some improvements with my content and people reacting to what I post on LinkedIn. 
So doing research and going to the library are the two things that I do on a regular basis that have helped me to be a better writer. It takes time. That's the expense. But as far as financially, there really isn't any. Excellent. Impish, would you share your contact information where people can find you online? I'm on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just my name, Impish Thomas. And I'm also on Facebook, just Impish Thomas. I have my personal website, Impish Thomas. You see the see the thread going there? Yeah. <laughs> so just and that's Impish with an E, E-M-P-I-S-H. Mm-hmm. And then of course Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. So I'm on all of those two social media platforms, LinkedIn and Facebook, that I have my personal website. You can also email me, which is at etwrites, and that's W-R-I-T-S, of course, because I'm a writer, at comcast.net. I'll repeat that. That's etwrites at comcast.net. Thank you, Empish, for being with us today. What a fabulous interview. We know people will benefit greatly from this discussion. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-647-0221. All donations go towards the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show running. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.